Uh, we are going to be reading from Matthew chapter 8, uh, verses 28 to 34. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demon begged Jesus, If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, Go! So they came out and went into the pigs. And the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Well, good morning everyone, and may I add my welcome to the one that Will has already given us today. It's a great privilege to have God's word, and so let's ask for God's help as we open it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, the Bible, and we ask simply that you would be at work amongst us today by your Spirit. And as each of us hears the message of this passage... Please grant that we might respond to who the Lord Jesus is with increased love and trust in him. Because we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago in... Can everyone hear me? Uh, A few weeks ago in his sermon on the body and gender, John defined for us a few key ideas which influence us in our postmodern society. And one of the ideas he mentioned was called individualism. And individualism uh, is the idea that since no, there's no objective source of truth, I can make up my own uh, definitions for who I am and what my purpose is. Well, that's individualism. The main problem with individualism is that the Bible tells us that there is an objective source of reality. The Bible tells us that God made this world. Uh, He made us, and so he's already defined our purpose and our reason for existing. And so there's a a conflict of worldviews. And this is no merely academic disagreement. This worldview conflict becomes very personal. Because if I have defined my own identity, uh, how I like, uh, and a Christian comes along and tells me what the biblical view is, well, there's a conflict, and I might think that person is attacking me personally. And in this way, Christianity is often characterised as oppressive because it stands in the way of individualism. So the question I would like each of us to hold in mind as we go through today's Bible passage is, is Christianity actually oppressive? What are its effects in practice? Or to put the question another way, when I 
read the Bible, what is the effect that I see that Jesus had on people? Well, today as we look at this section in Matthew's account of the life of Jesus, we're going to see that Jesus acted with authority. Uh, He is an authority that each of us needs to understand and to come to terms with. But contrary to what many today would have us believe, we will see that the effect of Jesus' authority was not religious oppression. Quite the opposite. Our passage today will show us that Jesus used his authority to set people free. And we're going to see that Jesus is the king who restores. Well, that's the big picture. That's where we're going today. But as we go through, keep this question in your mind. What is the effect that I see that Jesus had on people? Well, by way of reminder from previous weeks, I expect you'll remember where we are in Matthew. Chapters 5 to 7 record the Sermon on the Mount. And you may remember that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we read these words. When Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. The crowds could tell that Jesus was different. He was not like any teacher that they had heard before. He had his own authority. And the effect of Jesus on the crowds, well, they were amazed. And then after the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where we saw what Jesus said and taught, Now in the section that we're in at the moment, chapters 8 and 9, Matthew is showing us Jesus in action. What Jesus does, what happens when Jesus interacts with people. And in this section, in various ways and in various situations, Matthew shows us how Jesus acted with authority. And we've seen that in previous weeks, haven't we? There are many examples that we've seen already in chapter 8. But just to give the most recent example, I expect you'll remember from last week the story of Jesus calming the storm. Then Jesus got up in the boat and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. The disciples understand that no normal human being can do this. It's impossible. So who is this man? The crowds were amazed because Jesus taught with authority. The disciples were amazed because Jesus acted with authority. Well, Matthew's job is... Matthew is doing... Matthew's account is doing its job, isn't it? Matthew is showing us who Jesus is. We see Jesus teaching and acting with authority which amazes Normal human beings are not like this. And the only possible explanation is that Jesus really is God walking the earth in human form. Well, all of that is by way of introduction. Let's get into today's passage. And we're going to look at today's passage under two main headings. Our first main heading, what we learn from the demons what we learn from the demons. And the first thing that we learn is that they testify to the identity of Jesus. 
So as we arrive at today's passage, verse 28, Jesus and his disciples have crossed over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and no doubt as they paddled across the lake on the now very calm water, and they step off the boat onto shore, his disciples still must have been mulling this question, what kind of man is this, that even the winds and the waves obey him? And we find that this is the very question that Matthew addresses next. Jesus is met by two demon-possessed men. And while the disciples are still joining the dots, it turns out that the demons know exactly what kind of man this is. In fact, they shout it out. Verse 29, What do you want with us, Son of God? Mark and Luke actually add, Uh, extra detail they say that they shouted out son of the most high God you see the demons know exactly who Jesus is he's the eternal second person of the trinity now I don't know every one of you to know where you're at with this question of Jesus' identity perhaps you're a bit like the disciples at this point in Matthew's narrative and you still are not yet at a position of certainty about who Jesus is well if that's you may I encourage you simply to keep on reading because one of Matthew's objectives in giving us his account of the life of Jesus is that he wants us to be sure about who Jesus is and Matthew is presenting more and more evidence to us as we keep reading well then the Demons testify to the identity of Jesus. But that's not all we learn from the demons. They also point us to future judgment. We see this in verse 29. Verse 29. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Well, let's unpack that. Let's think what this appointed time is. And the clue in this text is the word torture. Because the demons know that that's what this appointed time means for them. Luke adds the detail that they begged him repeatedly not to order them into the abyss. The demons know that there is a time coming when God will judge all evil. The demons know about it, they're expecting it, but not yet. If they were sent to the abyss now, that would be before the appointed time. Now I think if we take the time to consider what this text means for us, I think there's both a hope and a warning for us here. It's one of the great hopes of the biblical worldview, isn't it? That there's this appointed time when all evil will be fully and finally dealt with. It will be brought about when Jesus returns for the second time and he will usher in a new heavens and a new earth which will be fully restored, perfect and without evil. And those of us who know and trust Jesus, well, we want this time to come. We look forward to it. It's our hope. But we must not also miss the warning for this text, in this text for us. Because the Bible speaks and tells us that each of us will one day stand in front of the Lord and give an account for our lives. 
because we're fallen and sinful unless we're saved by Jesus our final destiny will be the same as these demons and the problem is that many today live out their lives as if there is no final judgment or perhaps we know it's coming but perhaps we expect we'll somehow get off the hook or perhaps even if we're a little bit honest with ourselves we know we deserve a guilty verdict but somehow we imagine that hell might not be that bad well the warning for us in this passage is that the demons don't think this way they're under no illusions they know there's a day of judgement they know it will be the beginning of eternal torture for them and their greatest fear here is that the person standing in front of them might send them there before the appointed time so the demons point us to future judgement well shortly we'll be hearing the good news about how we can find safety on that day but let's read on what else do we learn from the demons well we see their destructive effect first their effect in the lives of these two men verse 28 tells us that the men uh, that the demons caused the men to be violent so that no one could pass by that way for being for fear of being attacked they were possessed with superhuman strength and they were hostile verse 28 also tells us that the demons had driven them to live amongst the tombs they couldn't live in the company of others they were isolated the other accounts in Mark and Luke which by the way only talk about tell us the story of one of these two men they tell us that the demons caused the man to cut himself with stones he was self-harming so the effect of the demons in the lives of these two men was hostile isolating and destructive now this passage reminds us that there are very real demonic powers at work in the world and some people even today for them that means demonic possession but even without being demon possessed the same hostile isolating and destructive symptoms can be observed today in the lives of men and women and this is not only a problem with other people we can see these three effects in our own lives too we may think we're rather nice people we're not violent to others but how are we doing with passive aggression or sarcasm how about jealousy selfishness anger or even hatred well these are all acts and attitudes that are hostile to others and if you can see these things in your own heart I know I do then it means you also have a heart that is affected by sin and think away about the way that sin isolates if you're tempted to bring up a website that you know you shouldn't visit that's something you normally wouldn't do in, uh, you normally wouldn't want others to see you would hide it 
And it's the same for any type of sin. We normally would want to hide our sin from others. And we may hide it from others, but when we hide our sin from others, it isolates us from them more and more. And sin often leads us to consequences which are destructive to ourselves and to our relationships. Perhaps the classic example is King David. He not only murdered Bathsheba's husband to hide his his adultery, but he wrecked his own family relationships too. His sin was destructive. What was he thinking? Well, the effect of the demons in the lives of these two men and the effect of sin in our own lives is hostile, isolating and destructive. What about the effect of the demons on the pigs? Well, I don't think it's any real surprise to us, really, is it, that the moment the pigs are cast out, uh, they cause destruction, they overpower and kill the pigs. We already know that to destroy is what demons do. Mark's account tells us that there were uh, around 2,000 pigs. It was a large herd. And some people may think this is unfair that the pigs died in this way. But we should remember that it's not Jesus who's doing the damage here, it's the demons. Whether they're possessing the bodies of these two men or allowed to go into their pigs, the, fact, the effect that, that the demons have, and by, uh, by extension, all of Satan's forces, they, the forces of evil, are the ones who oppress and destroy. And 2,000 pigs floating in the water just demonstrated so clearly to everyone present the destructive effects of evil. Well, let's move on to our second main heading, what we learn about Jesus, what we learn about Jesus. And first, we should note Jesus' supreme authority. Jesus' supreme authority. Verse 28 tells us that no one could help these men. They were so violent that no one could help them. Until the day that they met Jesus... And there's only one word of reported speech by Jesus in this passage. You'll see it there in verse 32. Go. One word was all that was necessary. You see, when the Son of God confronts the forces of evil, there's no competition. It's not like there's some unresolved, dualistic battle still going on between the forces of good and the forces of evil, and we don't yet know who will win. No, there's no match between the authority of Jesus and the authority of these demons. They have to obey, and it would be completely futile for them to resist. And it's a comfort for us, isn't it, that though powerful, Satan's power is limited. He can go no further than Jesus permits. Last week we heard Jesus calming the storm with a word. This week we see Jesus demonstrates his authority over evil with just a word. Matthew is giving his readers just yet another piece of evidence to demonstrate that this Jesus walking the earth is in fact God in human form. 
Well, we've seen Jesus' supreme authority, but then when Jesus exercises his authority, what effect does he have? And this is the question we started with. What is the effect that I see that Jesus has on people? Well, let's think first about the effect of Jesus on these two men. Actually, Matthew's account tells us nothing about these two men as they, after they were restored by Jesus. And there's a reason for that, which I'll come on to shortly. But the other accounts do tell us. This is Mark chapter 5. Mark and Luke tell us that when the townspeople came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. Well, the man was clothed, which means that he had regained his humanity. He was listening to Jesus, which means that he was rational. He was with others, which means that he was no longer isolated. He was no longer hostile. And later we learn that he became a keen witness of what Jesus had done for him which means that he was now wanting to do good to others. So, do you see the difference, the contrast between the effect of the authority of the demons in these men's lives and the effect of the authority of Jesus in their lives? The demons destroy. Jesus restores. Well, I expect there are many Christians here today, myself included, who can testify to the destructive effects of sin in our lives, both before and after we became Christians. But more and more, as Jesus works in our lives, by his Spirit, through his Word, well, we can also testify to the power of Jesus to restore as we listen to his word, the Bible, as the spirit of Christ causes us to see more and more the false hopes that sin offers. When we come to see sin for what it is, we learn to hate it, confess it, and turn away from it. Well, we uh, are changed more and more by the work of Christ in our lives. And the Christian is clothed with Christ's righteousness. We're restored into a relationship with God. We want to be close to him in prayer. We're no longer isolated. We come into a fellowship with his people, the church. He gives us the power to show love to others and not be hostile to them. Well, do you see how Jesus is still having the same effects in the lives of Christians today? Jesus is still the king who restores. That's his effect. That's what he does. Well, we've seen Jesus' effect in the lives of these two men. Let's move on to think about the effect of Jesus on the townspeople. Verse 33, those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they 
pleaded with him to leave their region. Are we surprised by their response? I think we're meant to be. Wouldn't we perhaps expect to hear that they thanked Jesus for healing these two men? Even for their own benefit, wouldn't we perhaps expect them to thank Jesus that they could now move about in the area without fear of being attacked? The townspeople first heard the report of what happened from the herdsmen. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus to see with their own eyes what had happened. These people had witnessed so clearly and powerfully the Uh, Jesus' authority over the forces of evil. They had witnessed the transformation in the lives of these two men. And what was the result? Well, I mentioned earlier that Matthew completely omits any reference to the two men after the demons were cast out. And the reason seems to be that Matthew wants to place all of his focus, all of his emphasis, not on the two men, but on the response of this town of people. The last words Matthew leaves us in this account are that they pleaded with him to leave their region. And the only reason given across all the accounts for why these people asked him to leave is that they were overcome with fear. Maybe it was a fear like the disciples in the boat to be close to anyone so powerful. Maybe it was a fear because they didn't want any more of their livelihoods to be compromised. Well, we're not told exactly why they feared. But to quote one commentator, this particular town of people preferred pigs to people and their financial security to transformation of life. And we know that the response of these townspeople is actually very typical of what happened when people met Jesus. Matthew's account records that so often people rejected Jesus rather than following him. And those really are the only two options that Matthew gives us, reject or follow. Sadly, still today, most people, if they're confronted with who Jesus is, who the Lord and creator of the universe is, they'll in effect say, go, please leave us. Even though all the evidence is that Jesus wants to do us good and set us free, our fallen human nature resists God. Well, that's the effect of Jesus on the townspeople but there's one very important and very wonderful final thing we'll learn from Jesus we see his grace we should notice that there's nothing that these two men do to earn being saved in fact there's nothing they could do they were held captive by demons they couldn't free themselves and no one else could help them either they were powerless to escape Grace means someone showing favour which isn't earned, giving something good when it isn't deserved. And the Lord Jesus comes here into the lives of these two men 
and does them good. He rescued those who could not help themselves and who could never pay him for the favour. He simply shows them his unmerited grace. That's who Jesus is. That's, who, that's what he does. I'm sure many of you will know that many, many times throughout the Old Testament there's this repeated phrase. The Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Many, many times we're reminded of who God is. That's what he does. Well, this story shows that Jesus is gracious and merciful in the lives of these two men and his grace is just one more clue from Matthew that points to the identity of Jesus as God come down to earth. Well, to wrap things up, today's passage has shown us several of the effects of evil in this world. The demon possession of these two men, the destructiveness of sin, and people's rejection of their rightful king. And we've seen, too, just another example of Jesus' supreme authority, in this case this week, over evil spirits. Let's draw things to a close now, thinking for a moment about what all this means for us. You see, just like these two men, fallen human nature means that without Jesus working in our lives, we are also held captive by evil. Without Jesus working in our lives to change us, we would be like these townspeople. None of us would choose to follow him. And that's because we've inherited an evil nature from our first parents. And it's a disease that we can't cure ourselves. Without Christ working in my life, I would have no power to resist or to defeat sin. In my own strength, I would have no hope. So like these two men, each of us needs to be rescued. And the good news from this passage is that there is someone who can rescue us. James Montgomery Boyce comments, Just like these two men, for us, we have no natural hope of being saved. Unless Jesus comes, which is exactly what he does. We do not ask him to come. He comes uninvited. And even then, the evil spirits in us, within us, are hostile to him and want him to go. Salvation comes when Jesus addresses our evil spirit of sin and drives it out, leaving us sitting there quietly, dressed and in our right mind. If you have been saved from sin, that's an amazing act of God. Boyce says salvation comes when Jesus addresses our evil spirit of sin and drives it out. Well, just as he did back then in the lives of these two men, so today the Lord Jesus still acts to save. He comes into the hearts of men and women today by his Holy Spirit in order to set us free from our captivity 
and our attachment to sin. And we never need to doubt his goodness because the Lord Jesus went to the cross to bear the punishment for the sin that you and I deserve to bear ourselves. And no matter how great our sin, no matter our past history, he offers us grace. And with our sin paid for, the Christian can approach that appointed day that we've been hearing about and have nothing to fear. And so the important question for all of us is actually the same question that it's always been. How will we respond to Jesus? How will we respond to the grace that the Lord Jesus has shown us by his death on the cross? There are only two options, reject or follow. Will we be like the townspeople? Or will we come to Jesus to follow him and to accept the rescue that he offers us? If today you're someone who has never yet come to Jesus, I hope you can see from today's passage that the effect that Jesus had on people was not to oppress but to restore. Just like these two men, if you come to Jesus today, you will find grace. Might I urge you to pray to him even today and to ask him to begin that work of restoration in your own life. And if today you're someone who is already seeking to follow Jesus, might I urge you to keep going on to keep fighting against sin in your life. Remember that sin is destructive. We should never be tempted to hold on to it. Rather, if we have temptations, or even if we fail and fall into sin, well, keep moving towards Jesus. Run to Christ and not away from him. Because if you're joined by faith to him, then he's already paid the penalty for your sin. You have nothing to fear from him. The good news of the gospel is that our standing with Christ and with God has nothing to do, it's not based on our own righteousness, but his. So you never need to doubt his grace to you. Rather remember that God's plan in your life is to keep working in you, to transform you more and more into his likeness. And he's promised that he will complete his work in you. He is gracious and he'll do it. That's who he is and that's what he does. Jesus is the king who restores. Well, let's come to the Lord now in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, each of us needs your forgiveness and grace and restoration. And we know that Christ is our only hope. So may none of us be like the townspeople who wanted Jesus to leave them. Instead, please grant each one of us here today a greater awareness that Jesus' authority is for our good so that we might run to him for rescue. And we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.